Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Post 20 Podcast. You're now listening to episode 172 of the show. My name is Evan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt. What's going on? Yeah, I don't know really how to feel about this week from a Chelsea standpoint. Um, tough loss and then go into a, a bounce-back win that we still have our issues here and there, but um, make a new signing in uh, Mudrick, who... Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the area we particularly need, but watching compilations, you only see the best, but I like what I saw. It's different from what attackers we have, and he doesn't carry that uh, mentality that all of our current players have at, at the moment. So we'll see if they throw him into the deep end against Liverpool on Saturday, but it was good overall. I enjoyed this week. Um, record-wise, Evan topped off the group here 7-4. at four. Uh, and Zach and I went five and six. So overall, that puts Evan in the lead again. He's sitting at 93 and 94, and then Zach and I are at 92 and 95. So still a tight race. We're all hugging around that 500 area, which is nice to see. Yeah, um, pretty good week for us. I mean, decent. I, I had a good week. Uh, I had a good week gambling for the first week in, I don't know, two, three months. It's been tough. It's been very, very challenging. and. The Prem has been um, very kind to me. A good week, obviously, on predictions and a good week for my club and, and your club. Um, I guess we'll jump into these games. We've got a lot to talk about. Aston Villa at 2, Leeds United 1. Uh, a very, very solid well, perform. What's up? We, do we didn't talk about the Chelsea Fulham. That was the first one. I missed it. I'm sorry about that. I totally forgot we had a uh, midweek thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> Unfortunate here. Willian <clears throat> leading Fulham to a victory over Chelsea uh, on Thursday, January 12th. He opened the scoring in the 25th, a goal that I swear to God I saw him perform in a Chelsea kit. Um, and then after the game, I actually saw a clip, and it was the same goal that he actually scored for Chelsea against somebody else. He scored in the 25th. Koulibaly pulled one back in the 47th, but... Unfortunately, Jao Felix, in his debut, was awarded a red card. Um, so, one-ninth of the games he'll probably play in a Chelsea kit. Uh, actually, he'll be suspended for those one-ninth games. Uh, so, uh, a little bit unfortunate there. He looked good uh, before he got sent off, but you know he wasn't able to make any impact in those final 30 minutes and that's really where they could have used him because Carlos Vinicius scored in the 73rd took all three points for a Fulham side that really do you know want to shore up their position where they are right now Chelsea you know truly did play better in this one 10 shots on target 20 shots total offense I think looked much much better uh, with Jao Felix up there alleviating some of the pressure that Averts typically has on him they opted to go with the wing back uh, formation, you know, five in the back. The only thing I can say is there's no reason for Cesar Azpilicueta to be starting uh, on a Premier League team. Even, I, like, I can't even see him slotting into a Southampton side. Like, he just doesn't provide enough pace to play wing back anymore, and it's it's just not been good. Lakaria picked up an injury in this one. He's a bit injured now. Uh, supposed to be out for a month, I think, Matt said. And then Fulham uh, with with just a really, really solid game. No Mitrovic, and they're still able to get three points against Chelsea Club, who are struggling right now. Yeah, it was another one of those games where we control a bit of the ball and 
it's pretty passive. And I would still have the first five minutes we did really well. Felix was making good runs in behind. Uh, the first chance he took on Reem, megged him, and put a great ball in the box. And Havertz, low in confidence, just scuffs it and doesn't put any power behind it. And it's just deflected. And once again, like in the City game towards the end, Lewis Hall was getting great spots to finish the ball and couldn't. And that's what happened here. That rebound came to him and he kind of scuffed it again. So it's an area he's got to get used to being involved in if he's going to be picked over Cucurella. But yeah. I agree with the Azpilicueta thing. His career's taken a massive downturn with his with his just physique and how he is at, in the stage of his career he's at now. Uh, it's similar to how Ivanovic's end came. Very slow, uh, gets pretty handsy. As soon as you stop him in place and take him one-on-one, you're you're pretty much going to beat him every time on the front foot. So, And it doesn't help that Chalaba behind him is in really bad form as well. He's getting, he's having a lot of mistakes, and it's exposing us a bit. That header back to Kepa in this game was almost costly. Yeah, but Tiago Silva's holding it down, which he shouldn't have to at 38. He should just... He, he has so much on his plate, and he's doing a fantastic job. But overall, it was a very, very flat game from us, and... It's not a it's not a good sight to see. This is Fulham's first win over us since two thousand six, I thought. I thought I heard and Yeah. Nuts. Yeah, the red card was never good. I mean <laughs> That's that's tough, man. I, that was a ch- I just saw I saw when that ball was cleared out and his first touch was poor because of the lack of playing time he's been given at Lathletti. So he wasn't gonna be the freshest and the most informed here, Matt Sharp, but yeah, I just as soon as it was at fifty fifty and just a guy that really has nothing to lose and just, just levels Tetsy and there was no malice in it, no intent. He was just trying to make up for the poor touch, so it was tough to see. And I'm more upset with the Zakaria injury, like you said before, that one's tough because he's been leading the leading the midfield there. Um after Tuchel brought him in and never gave him a chance really and it took him Graham a little bit to give him his time, but now he's turned into a, a great signing, and now we're going to have to be without him for another month. So back to Jorginho, I guess. Yeah, that's unfortunate. You have to go back to him, but he's on the uh, he's on the block as well, right? That's what we, we talked about briefly before the episode started. Yeah, a, his contract's going to expire this summer, I believe, and I think Conte's at the moment as well, but they're looking to redo him for another year maybe, mm-hmm. which... Would be nice, but we haven't seen him since September. Right. All right. Um, now let's move into the game that I thought we were starting on. Are we going to flip-flop? Yes. Go ahead. All right. Uh, it's better I said that at the start. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, 2-1 to Villa, as Evan was getting into here. It was uh, a very, very tight battle there with Marsh, who I thought was sent off in the last game, but he was there. Um, feisty guy, he's probably the most carded manager this season. Uh, started off fast, Leon Bailey getting a goal in the third minute, assisted by Kamara. Nice little counterattack off a corner where leads are heavily invested forward and just get caught out. Uh, Lucas Digne and Ali Watkins both pick up injuries in the first half, which was tough to see. Um, two key guys in their squad. Uh, new signing Alex Marino came in, who they signed from La Liga. Um, Unai picking him up obviously from his time over there so had a standard standard performance and then uh, we didn't get another goal until the second half uh, Buendia 64th minute doubling the lead for Villa 
Jesse Marsh goes into the bench to make some subs, puts in the new signing in Wauber, center back, uh, gives Bamford a go, and Bamford, out of nowhere, gets a gets a nice little drag back goal, builds some confidence, and Leeds continue to push on, but it wasn't enough, and Villa gets the job done, and it seems like Villa are putting in a pretty standard uh, mid, mid-table finish. They're the only team really that's going to be like a consistent middle-of-the-road team. All, the, all these other teams like Leeds and below are pretty fraudulent and can't really hold their own, and all the teams above them just have a bit more depth and, and money and talent in the squad. So they're putting together a good run with Unai, similar to how there's other new managers in the league are doing. Uh, they're getting a good footing on their style and, and the key players to go forward. And Ashley Young has been building a, a, a growth back into his career in both new breath. Second wind, if you will, uh, playing over Matty Cash now, who hasn't been the fit, most fit. So he's been taking that in on his own. And what would you say for this game overall with Leeds? I mean, for like the my major takeaway was because I only I watched the second half. Um, yeah. I, so I I saw that they were up one nil, and then <clears throat> I um I tuned in for the second half, and I realized like. There's just no way. There's just no way that Leeds are ever going to be able to fight back into a game after they go down. I know they've done it a couple times a season, but when shit starts to matter, like Leeds just have have kind of faltered, and I feel like that's going to continually be the case. Um, I don't know if this Nyanto guy is is going to be legit for them there, playing like left center mid. He's kind of even closer to the way. Um, I I also just want more for for Adams and Aronson. Like it's tough. This is a really tough team to be a part of right now, because um, it's it's sort of similar to how they are with the national team. Like, what sort of service are you really going to be able to provide uh, when when this is the sort of team that you're playing in? Roca in there at like right, right defensive mid. Harrison is your is your really in my opinion your only very solid. Uh, dynamic player going forward and he hasn't really been that this year either so outside of the goal the Patrick Bamford goal which I was like oh my god he's alive I feel like I haven't seen him all season long especially after that insane season he had a couple years ago Uh, I mean that was nice to see but Leeds just they're in a really tough spot right now uh, they're they're in 14th or on 17 points. They're like two points clear from the drop and it's totally possible that any of these teams even Forrest uh, could slither down into that drop zone this year if one of these other teams picks up form. So yeah, I was I was pretty uh, displeased with that performance by by Leeds, but I don't think yeah. they have all that much to work with either in terms of of budgets. Yeah, they made a few signings in that Wobber defender from uh, the R- the Red Bull system, and I think they signed another striker now. Um, forgetting his name off the top of my head, but they haven't won a game since before the World Cup. I think November fifth it was. That was the last time they won, but so post World Cup they've been really struggling. But their schedule hasn't been the kindest either, with Newcastle, City, and Tottenham all on there. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, let's move on to the next one. Looks like I get the derby: uh, Manchester United two, Manchester City one. A very quiet first half, but an extremely eventful. Uh, excuse me, second half. Uh, found Jack Grealish scoring in the 60th minute, only to be defeated by Bruno Fernandez and Marcus Rashford. A goal from Bruno in the 78th, and then one from Rashford in the 82nd. Uh, we would be remiss in not discussing the controversy 
um, you could call it obstruction, you could call it failure to reestablish an onside position. I mean, you could call it a VAR disaster class. There's many different things you could say. Um, but Rashford found himself embroiled in, in a bit of controversy because he he didn't check back onside, right? Was that the, the deal? He was in an offsides position the yeah. whole time when the ball was played. I think the ball was initially played for him. Yeah. So he understood at the moment where he was in the line and knew he was off, so he kind of laid it off. Mm. And I think he saw Bruno coming, so in a way... I think he was somewhat shielding Walker a bit. Yeah. But Akanji had a clear opportunity to stop Bruno. But the idea of of Rashford being there and thinking the call was going to come, they kind of let off a bit because people were saying that Bruno's not going to beat Akanji and Walker in a foot race to that ball if they know it's a fair play. Right. And then as well as Ederson's positioning too. So yeah, all the City players were kind of thrown off a bit even when the Pep, ball went in yeah was very upset about it and he's not one to really complain like that either yeah i think it's one of those things that nobody took into consideration with the the wording and the law of the game mm-hmm. and maybe that's something that in the future will have to be adjusted maybe another article should be implemented or a a sub bit to it to maybe an exception to the rule mm-hmm. um there might be something like that petitioned or whatever but it's one of those things where if you're united, you take it and you understand the rule for what it is. And City, it's a tough one to swallow, uh, especially in a tight derby that means everything to the title race. Yeah. Now being eight points behind Arsenal. So it means a lot to the league for what the end game is going to be. But it's uh, one of those things that you kind of have to suck up a bit. Man City, I think, since VAR has been introduced, has been one of the most screwed teams a bit. Yeah, they have been screwed a lot. And then, like, you have teams like Liverpool who are on the opposite side that seem to always benefit oh from my God, implementation. Yeah. Livar pool, right? That's what they call them. Uh, yeah. And I think for, for a very fair reason, it's it's um, quite lopsided. I mean, and I, of course, it's not actually rigged. I don't want to say that. Um, but, it only made it 1-1. It wasn't right. like that was the winner. Right, right. And then Rashford did score in the 82nd. Uh, he, him coming in clutch again. I mean, all season, this guy has just been absolutely unbelievable. So clutch. Nine uh, straight games. Nine straight scored. games. He's got a goal and he's scoring in all different competitions. I mean, he's been absolutely sick. Just really, really, really good this year and starting to finally bud and blossom into his prime uh, playing in that left midfield position. I, it's been a joy to watch him because he is truly so talented. Um, and I think even with the, the controversy, we have to say he did have a very good game and he scored the winner in an extremely important derby. So let's quickly, you know, sort of talk about City. I mean, I think this is kind of one of those um, Liverpool discussions that I want to have where it's it's like it's the defense. I think that's where all of this is breaking down. Holland, you know, he's been really good for them this season. He's obviously scored a ton of goals. Um, the midfield has been okay. KDB is probably not performing to his maximum potential, but I I think City are still a very good side. They just have been let down a couple of times this year by by bad play at the back. I don't think Laporte is very good. He didn't play in this one. We have Akanji back in there now. And then Ake is still a young defender. He's, at points, he's played on the right. He's played in the center. I just, I don't know. The, 
it's it's not great um back there it could be it could afford to be to be shored up a little bit i think rodri could probably afford to drop a little bit deeper as well and help in this these situations but i i don't know i have no idea what to do uh if i'm city right now because that gap between you and and united just really really closed i mean they're united are one point off of second place newcastle also one point off second place and city look more and more fallible each week yeah i don't think it's ideal that ruben diaz has been out this long yeah port being probably the number two three option i think akanji has grown into a a two to three number center back in pep system uh, you got to remember Ake was a fringe player at the beginning of the year. There were talks of him maybe going back to Chelsea or go somewhere else um, before he des- they decided to keep him. Walker has been dealing with a lot of injury issues, uh, still coming back from the World Cup, played a lot there. So he may be tired from the year overall. And Cancelo isn't the most, isn't the ideal defender. He's more of a versatile, uh, kind of like how Trent is getting forward and, and being involved in the buildup. So I think Ten Hogs game plan worked perfectly here. Where when he needed to adjust, he did. When he needed to make a certain sub, he did. Uh, taking Martial out and putting Rashford up top made a big difference. They had the scare in the first half where it seemed like Rashford was going to get subbed off, but he stuck it out. And they really just played that counter ball. I think Erickson was a key part in there in the build up. It's linking the play up from Casimir and Fred to the forwards really just drove the drove the result home and all the momentum shifted as soon as that that first goal was given uh, as a goal from VAR. So, and uh, once again, Holland gets bottled up two straight games mm-hmm. now. Where if you're if we're talking about any other striker, it's normal. So, and for Holland, it's tough to really think about him not scoring two straight games. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's it's a tough one. It's one of those things again where now United they've beaten they beat Arsenal, they've beaten City, they beat Liverpool. Yeah. I it's you almost want to say they're proven, but there's gonna be a result maybe that comes up that we think, oh, they're back to normal. And they're one injury away from going back into panic mode. And if Marcus Rashford gets hurt, they have massive issues. Yeah, I mean, he they're relying on him for so much, right? This yeah. is like when you look at Arsenal, right? Because they had a similar injury. They they lost Jesus. It, it's a huge, huge, huge loss um, just because of how good he was at the beginning of the season. And even but they're the, still earning the results. Middle part. But right, when you look at the score sheet, it's not just Jesus scoring. In fact, it's not Jesus scoring all that much. It was Martinelli. It was Saka. It was Odegaard. It's the system. And I don't. The system wasn't solely constructed around him. Like I don't think I don't think this United system is designed around any specific player. I think these players have key roles. You think Casemiro drives the midfield. Eriksen gets the link-up play going between the two. And Rashford's the finisher. And then Bruno is a pivot guy. He facilitates both. Martial's there. Fred's a good engine guy. Luke Shaw's doing his own in the back. They're not being put under too much pressure. De Gea doesn't have to stand on his head every game. Like, everybody's doing their job. And like you mentioned with Arsenal, like, everybody's doing their job. It's not like they're having a bad game and they need somebody to score. It's like Chelsea. It's like they played good defensively, but they need that goal to go in to... So they're not stressed the whole time. Like they need to play for something. Yeah. Be true. 
Um, okay. Oh, quickly, before we move on to the next game, Wanda Saka has been really, really, really good the past, like, three weeks. I think he's been amazing. This back line with Shaw playing center back, Shalberto uh, Carlos, he's looked really, really good, and Veron's been good as well. So if that back line can, can, you know, hold Holland to no goals, no contributions, and just one total goal, I think, you know, they're in decent shape. Okay. All right. Uh, the next game I have here is an, another masterclass of a game. We have yeah. Nottingham Forest 2, Leicester nil. Uh, one of those ones that probably busted up a bunch of parlays and definitely hurt my record this week. I thought Leicester would bounce back, but they were fraudulent up front. Harvey Barnes had two clear-cut opportunities to give Leicester the lead in both halves and just choked a bit. Um, Jamie Vardy got a rare start here. Uh, as well as Mark Mark Albright, and they're dealing with a lot of injuries, as we all know. Um, nothing in the first half, pretty scrappy. Forrest come out the second half, make a few changes, and Brendan Johnson in the 56th minute, assisted from Gibbs-White, plays a nice outside the football across the box. Lester's defending was a bit all over the place, and uh, Johnson buries it again. He's been on a bit of a run now, two straight games. Uh, Lester make a bunch of changes, trying to change the flow of the game. Bringing on Ianacho, Pratt, and, and the new boy, Lewis Brunt. And still, they kind of struggled in front of the goal. They they only were credited for six shots in total, one on target. And Brennan Johnson doubles the lead in the 85th minute, killing the game. And this was a derby game. I didn't know it was a Midlands derby. Mm-hmm. Both teams are relatively close. So, massive win for them. Once again, Nottingham Forest at home are absolute juggernauts. And it takes them up to 13th, as you mentioned before. They're five points clear of the drop zone, which isn't much. But with all the teams below them being awful, it's it's a pretty big gap in that retrospect or yeah. that aspect. Yeah, absolutely. This is a big game uh, against Leicester City. Like you said, Midlands Derby is six-pointer as well. They're both on 17 before this game. Uh, so very, very important for Nottingham Forest to show up. I probably should have paid a bit of attention to that, but uh, I didn't. And so they, they sold me. Lester, that is. Um, but a really, really yeah. good performance from Nottingham Forest. I mean, they looked good. They didn't control the ball all that much, but uh, they pressed well. I think this is a, a Leicester team that is very, very susceptible to a press. And um, Nottingham Forest just seemed to want it a lot more in this game, and they, they got the result here. Um, just, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what's next for, for Leicester because they don't have a ton of, of players that like really move the needle for you. Um, and I just don't think there's players that are going to want to stay there. Tielemans is not going to be there for much longer. Vardy's on his way to retirement. I think Ndidi is, is really good. Their defense is pretty poor outside of Amarty and, and Castaño on his day. And I think they have an issue with goalkeeper still. So it's really tough looking forward for Leicester to, to say, like, this team's going to be back to, to glory, right? Uh, 2015 was, you know, they won the league that year. Uh, much to to my dismay, they beat Arsenal that year, but it's 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 tough to watch because I do have a, a place in my heart even for Leicester, uh, just because of that that magical run they made in 2015. It was truly something to behold, and if they've really fallen so far from that, uh, yeah, I'd like to give a lot of credit to Steve Cooper. He's mm. his system's really been, he's really figured out a system. He's finally figured out his main guys that he's going to use after all the 20 signings they've made. 
Dean Henderson it doesn't have to make as many saves as he, as he did at the beginning of the year. It seemed like he was a headline for every time they got a result. He was a big part in it now. They're on their best run. They only have one defeat in their last six in the league, three of them being wins. And getting key results, a draw against Chelsea and a, a draw against Brentford, which Brentford are a pretty decent side. They're pretty reputable, only four losses this year. So they're getting the job done at a key time in the year. They have a the worst. They're, they're tied for the least amount of goals for there with 15, but they're picking it up at the right time of the year where other teams are crumbling a bit and might make a bunch of changes in the, in the manager department. But yeah, credit to them. And Leicester now four straight defeats is tough to see. We're back in that hot seat area for, for Brendan Rodgers. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Uh, let's move on to the next game. I think it is Wolves-West Ham on my screen. Uh, uh, Wolves with a 1-0 victory over West Ham at the Molyneux home game for Wolves. They've been pretty decent uh, since coming back from the World Cup. They do have two wins in their last five. Of course, the other three are two losses and a draw. But to gain six points for this Wolves team after how offensively inept they were at the beginning of the season, I don't think um, is is terrible for them. 17 shots for them, four of those shots falling on target. They did control the ball well enough with 60% possession. West Ham just not able to trouble them enough. Uh, the back line held strong. Kilman and, and Collins playing a pretty decent game. It is. It does help that you have Nunez, uh, Mateus Nunez, and then Ruben Neves in there as you're holding mids. Those guys are both very, very good players. We're still not getting a ton out of Wolves up top, but at least we're seeing, you know, a little bit of a spark from Daniel Podence. I think this is two goals in two games for him now. So yeah. a, a bit of a, you know, good run of form for him. And then new boy uh, Cunha from, um, from Atleti. I think he came from yep. just sort of getting himself involved into the system, uh, you know, under Julian Lopetegui. I think, Wolves are going to be on the rebound here for the rest of the season. I still am not totally sold on them, but they do have some players, you know, even bringing Adama Traore off the bench. Um, they do have some players that can absolutely make a difference. And this is a great win against a West Ham team who just are really, really in a tough spot right now. You look at their team on paper, and it's it's truly not all that bad in terms of names, but you're not getting performances out of Bowen. You're not getting anything out of Antonio. Fornals even has been pretty quiet, and then you have Rice, who's on his way out. Maqueta, who they just bought and hasn't really fit into the system all that well, and then Suchek, who was once an extremely good player and has, for the past two seasons, just been very, very average. So... I do think it's very desperate, dark times for West Ham here. They need a miracle at this point um, to to turn things around because it just doesn't seem like Moyes is in a good spot mentally with them, and it doesn't seem like the team is even remotely bought in uh, to whatever he's trying to to foster there. Yeah, their last win in the league was back in the October twenty fourth. They beat mm-hmm. Bournemouth two nil. Um, they are doing well in the the conference league. They qualified for that, so potentially they could stay in Europe if they do well in that competition. But domestically, they're doing really poor. They're still in the FA Cup, and I mean, there's the league. Like you said, there's there's not much positivity looking. It's not looking good for them going forward. We're always talking about Bowen not providing. Uh, Paquette is doing the most he can. 
Rice is definitely going to be out the door after this season, so seeing where the club's at. Um, and I don't see much stability in that back line. There's not as, It doesn't seem as very consistent. They're always rotating one guy out every game. So there's no no chemistry in that back line. And losing to a team like Wolves isn't good. That really struggled to score. They, got, they did their job early in the game here. Um, early in the second half on a quick counter, which wasn't good for West Ham to start the half. But yeah, it's it, their main problem right now is their their attack. Like I said, Forest have only scored 15 goals, and so have West Ham, them and Everton, second least in the in the league so far, only behind Wolves, who have only scored 12 goals. So that's saying a lot there. And yeah, it's tough to get all their key guys into this team that can affect the game. They had Ben Rama and Skamaka come off the bench who maybe you would think should start this game over maybe Fornals and Antonio, but something might have to change soon with how Moyes sets up his team, really. Maybe he has to go to a back three and, and add another attacker up for, or push the wing backs higher. So we'll see. Uh, they have an absolutely massive match again against Everton this week, which... I don't have to say as a must win because yep. both teams have only earned one point in their last six in the league. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, move on to the next one. Uh, the next one I have here I'm looking at is Liverpool-Brighton. Yep. I'm proud to say this was a game that we both picked correctly. I think this is the first time that this is me thinking before this game happened, like what I thought about the game. This is the first time I thought of a result that or a Liverpool game, I should say, that I didn't think they would win confidently. There was no doubt in my mind where in the past I'm like, well, it's Liverpool, and they're always in the game and they have a chance. But this was the one time, or maybe the first time I thought, yeah, they're definitely going to lose here. Brighton are absolutely flying. So I don't know if that's a perspective thing changing, similar to how Chelsea are this year. I'm like, every time I see these two teams, Chelsea and Liverpool, uh, when we predict games, I'm like, I'm not really sure I can confidently take them in anything. but. Yeah, credit to Brighton here. Came out with a great game plan. Slowly march with a brace, uh, both in the second half, only six minutes apart. Evan Ferguson now getting another assist, the 18-year-old. Two goals and one assist in his last three in the league. Um, incredible from the young Irishman. And then uh, that guy, Wele, mm-hmm. coming off the bench from a long injury. Scores, flicks it over the def- over Konate and tucks it in uh, near post. Really, really bad from Liverpool. Matt, that back line, there's no stability without Van Dyke. And even when Van Dyke was there, he didn't really do, he didn't live up to his full potential, what we think. Matip pretty much has to cover for Trent when they get countered. And getting Matip on the wing isn't where you want him. And the midfield can't recover quick enough to cover these gaps. So there needs to be like an injection of pace, something new. I don't think they're going to be able to bring in the players they want this January to cover those gaps. I think a player like Wijnaldum they had in the past was perfect for to cover these things up. But they just don't have the right personnel to get the job done and to get the ball up to their to their game changers. So Yeah, and I mean like I'm looking here Thiago cannot be playing Cam. Like no way. He does not have the pace for that. He just doesn't. He's never had it in his whole career, and he certainly doesn't have it now. Yeah, and, when I think of him, I compare him to like Erickson. If yeah, they could use him like how Erickson is in the United system, he'd be great. Yeah, but he la- like he lacks that that special touch and vision. I think that 
um, that Erickson has because Alcantara Tiago is, is a little bit better on the ball, but his his passing is just not, it's fine, but it's not as good as Erickson in my opinion. I think Erickson is like in terms of pure center attacking mids that I've watched in you know the last decade, like he's easily top ten, like no no question about it. He was unbelievable for Spurs and Tiago. I just what's up? I was just like Mesut. Yeah, just like Ozil, right? Um, and then like now, I mean, we have it's crazy. I I never thought Odegaard would be uh like you know at the center of my heart, but he's he's very quickly uh surpassed Ozil in terms of of adoration for a, a center attacking mid for me. But, yeah, there was a reason that Madrid signed him at fourteen. Yeah, there was. But then they like let him go and let him rot at Sociedad. So that's fine. Their loss is my gain. Uh, Gakpo doesn't look quite up to snuff yet. We're going to have to give him a little bit to, uh, to sort of slot into the system. I think I really, really, really like this formation. Uh, the four, one, two, one, two narrow, I think is sick. Uh, they need somebody to replace Henderson. Well, Henderson could probably stay, but they need somebody to replace Ox. I think Fabinho needs a stretch on the bench. I think it's time to to give that Bashetic kid a try. He's been playing in the FA Cup. He's looked really good in both games. Uh, he's a little bit different. He's not obviously not quite as physical, can't play center back or anything like that, but he is a midfielder. Uh, I'd like to see him just somewhere in here. If that means playing without a DM, it means playing without a DM, but uh, they just they they struggle so much defensively. I don't know if that's going to be uh, a real you know solution. At this point, how poorly things have been going with Liverpool, like wh- what do you say? Like slotting Trent in in the midfield, like play somebody else out there. Play Joe Gomez or uh, switch Robertson over and let Gomez play on the left. Like let's just throw Trent into midfield and see what he does. Because I don't think things can really be any worse right now. I think, yeah, you've been big on that for a long time. I mean, it's not going to take away the fact that he needs to defend in the middle of the field. I think, if anything, that might put him in more uh, bad situations to quick turns, and he might be caught out a bit flat-footed. So I can see what you mean, pushing him up higher so he's less of an issue, but he needs to be out wide for the crosses. If he's in a central area, you're not going to get the most out of him. But I think that idea is something that Klopp might have to do because it seems like people know how they play. They don't have the best players to execute what he wants. Yeah, Fitness isn't fully there. Um, not as bad as other clubs, but Allison's not in the best form with the biggest confidence like he was in the World Cup for a bit. Um, Van Dyke not being there is massive. He was a big, big, big guy to lean on. Yeah. And yeah, I mean... I think one of the most frustrated people is Salah because his numbers are far from where we, we thought they'd be at this point of the year. Yeah, absolutely are. He's on my fantasy team. He's done fucking jack shit for me all year. So Absolutely. Could have taken Holland. I know. Could have taken Holland. Could have also not taken Ronaldo, but here we are. Um, yeah, you look at Liverpool's bench. It's, excuse me, very depleted. Harvey Elliott, maybe one of the only players that I like. Joe Gomez, another one that I like, but... Milner, Keita, Curtis Jones, uh, Tsimikas, Carvalho, and Doak on your bench. That's tough. It's a really tough look. 
They're not in a good spot, and things are definitely looking down for Liverpool right now. On the other side, I want to give you know a big shout-out to Solly March. He's been amazing this season. Uh, this Brighton team, pretty much everywhere. Gross and Estupignan, both fantastic players. Caicedo probably going to earn himself a move uh, away from Brighton because he's been so good. And then McAllister as well, who just won a World Cup and has been sensational for his club side as well. Uh, Matoma has some of the fastest feet that I've ever seen. His cuts are just unbelievable. His change of direction is so quick, so rapid. And this Brighton team just has so much you have to worry about in terms of pace, in terms of finishing, and in terms of creativity. This is one of those mid-table teams that are now having a season that is just one to remember. They're, they're going to be up there towards the end of the season. They could very well finish up towards fifth. They're only three points off of Tottenham at this point, and I can absolutely see it happening. I mean, they have been just mega this year. Really, really good. Um, the... <clears throat> project that Graham Potter started and uh De Serbi is now I guess you know running finishing whatever you want to call it uh it's just it's it's an unbelievable system and I'd really you know tip my cap to to De Serbi for coming right in faltering a, for uh, you know a game or two but then figuring it out writing the ship and just leading this team uh into more success you know very very impressive stuff uh, let's move on to Everton one Southampton two. Southampton with an extremely important win, uh, at this point in the season, they are very, very, very deep in the table. This is their first win in their last five. The other four results, uh, before this one were losses. Everton now with four losses and a draw in their last five. Both of these teams are on 15. Everybody in the drop is on 15 points right now. So Southampton trending in the right direction and a really good performance from James Ward-Prowse. Everton scored first in the 39th, but uh, Ward-Prowse just th helped them thunder back. A goal in the 46th, a great finish in the 78th. Uh, and an extremely important three points here. Southampton were a bit a bit stale in the first uh, half. I mean, they're always going to be. They just they start slow, but they were able to figure it out. Five shots on target, uh, four shots on target for Everton. Forty-seven percent possession, but Southampton did really have something going uh, on the day. They just looked determined. Ward Prowse is the only player. Uh, maybe outside of El Yunusi, I think, and, and maybe Salisu on, on his day uh, that really fight. And James Ward-Prowse just does not want to go down. He doesn't want this team to go down. He's been there forever. They're fighting really hard. And if they can get a couple more performances out of some other guys on top of, of Ward-Prowse, I think they can maybe save their season, but they have a, a really, really tough mountain to climb. I think Nathan Jones finally saw what was in front of him. He, yeah. he he took off his sunglasses and realized my my best striker of the ball is playing at a DM role. Maybe I should push him up higher into more advanced positions to create opportunities for us. And that's what happened here. Uh, coming coming back from one nil down in a hostile environment at Goodison Park, uh, and for him to grab grab a brace, and the second being on a free kick, which Pickford didn't even move. Um, what a performance from him. We saw the drive and the putter. He two-shot the Goodison Park golf course. Um, incredible for Southampton there. And I'm more focused on the Everton res result side of things because you got fans chasing down the players and and the, the coaching staff. Like, it's absolutely psychotic. 
It's exactly where we saw them last year, all of last year, the later half of the year. It's absolutely chaos. And these people are absolutely psychopaths when it comes to the sport and their team. So mm-hmm. Franks might have to go after this next game. If they lose to West Ham, another team in the basement, he might have to go. Yeah, I mean... They need, they need something new. I think they have enough players there for a new guy to come in and say, okay, I know how to put to glue this together for four months to get us across that line for another year. And then we can go from there, but... But isn't that what they did last year? Like, just it, glue it together for for a month, and then now they're shit again? Yeah, the problem is they just don't have that Richarlson. They don't have that guy, because Richarlson had, like, 12 goals last year. Their yeah. top scorer is, I think, Gray with three or four. Yeah, I know. It's not great. They don't have a score. They don't have anything, <laughs> but they definitely don't have a score either. I, I like, think the, the part of the team I like the most for them is their midfield. Or like yeah, Wobi, yeah, I like them and Gray's a Gray's a great role player. I mean they did bring him in for two million dollars for a reason. It's not like he's gonna bag him ten goals. We've said this in the past. We think Gordon and him get no more than five goals in a year. They're not gonna be ten to fifteen, so they need the goals from somewhere else and DCL can be that guy, but can't last a thirty eight games and the people that come in for him are a bit different. Malpai, you have to play completely different. He's a smaller player. And they just promoted a U23 player who did get in this game in Sims, who yeah. just was a big body that tried to lump the ball on and flick it on, and it wasn't good enough. So it's tough. It's really, really tough. They should just buy, like, a sweaty, like, Bundesliga I don't, striker. I don't think they have the money. I don't, I don't think the ownership wants to invest that much more. Yeah. And you said that they might want to sell. Yeah. Well, they, they're going to have to sell if they want to stay like up in this league because I don't think, like, I don't know who's going to buy Everton. The, the evaluation, like the club's value, is going to go substantially down if they get relegated. Like, that's just what happens. I think Burnley, Burnley sold, right? They have a new owner now? They did the last two to three years, yeah. Yeah, and now, like, they're going to be back up like god willing i mean they've been they're i'm pretty sure they're on top of the table and the championship yeah, right now they've been fucking sick yeah they've been absolutely it's it's not the same burnley that we talked about in the past no they it, are mega this year it's a completely different style of team it's nothing close to what sean dice had yeah it's not like bang them up football it's 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 different now uh i've watched a couple of their games i don't know like maybe Maybe Everton do. Just need somebody else. Somebody said maybe Everton needs Sean Dyche. I don't think that's the fucking solution at all. Just to get him across the line. I don't even know if they can though, because Sean Dyche is not a manager that's going to tell you to go out there and fucking score. It's you know no, what I mean. They're, they're going to lock it up, and it's no different than what they've been doing now. Yeah, that. But yeah, and that's not like that's not working. So I just don't know if Dyche is the answer. Maybe it is. Maybe they secure a few more draws. I don't. Maybe if they get one result here. If they win this week, it buys them a week or two of like some leniency. Not as much as you would like, but I mean, they was I'm looking here. They haven't won a game in their last seven. Their That's last bad. I mean, well, they've only won three games this year, which is the least. Yeah, very, very, very bad. Um, okay, you're up next. Uh, last one from Saturday that we haven't touched on is the the, the last game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brentford won two 0 over Bournemouth. This was the one we were most confident with, which is another thing talking about my perspective on Liverpool changing. My perspective changed on Brentford. 
this was a game that I saw that in the past I would have been questioning, but I was like, they're great. Uh, they got a good system. Manager's doing well. Players are happy. Tooney is avo avoiding jail time. Uh, it's all going in their favor. Uh, he scored a penalty here, and then the second goal came from, who was it? Jensen uh, in the 75th. Quick counter. Bournemouth were pushing on, looking for a draw, and they got caught out. And uh, Josh De Silva, who had a great game, nice little cross into him, uh, and cements the win. Bournemouth have been, I think, one of the worst teams when it comes to form. Um, only one win in their last five, and they haven't been scoring a lot of goals. Uh, there's a lot of inconsistency there since the World Cup break ended. Solanke wasn't in this team. He picked up a knock, which is a massive loss. They're still missing Tavernier, who had a great great start to the year out wide. And the midfield's lacking a bit. I mean, overall, there's not a, no confidence, really, in this team. The manager, since he was appointed the full-time manager, has lost all four games. Uh, whereas before when he was an interim, he was doing well. Uh, I heard people saying there's a big difference in the locker room when you hear there's an interim manager when they're more friendly with you to where he's the actual boss and maybe the tone change a bit changes a bit when he's there and how you act around him. So that might be a vibe in the club, but for, for Brentford, they, you can't really be asking for much. I think I projected them 16th. They're sitting in eighth place. Only, what, only four points... From or no two points from sixth in yeah. Europa League football, yeah. they're only one point back from Brighton for European football in that Conference League. So they're doing more than what anybody thought they were. Yeah, I mean they've. I think they've been good this year. They're a pretty dependable team. Like they're a very dependable team to bet on. I think you just have to find like you have to get on them in the middle of their run of form because they do like if they're if they're playing well they usually string a few together if they're playing poorly they usually lose a couple or draw a couple in a row and yeah they've had very favorable matchups the past few weeks i mean this is a great great this was a great time to bet on them because they were going up against the bournemouth side or just absolutely piss poor i mean they're in 17th on 16 points not a good team whatsoever um and they were able to just outclass them and get it done tony with a penalty and then jensen again in the 75th uh, they're not going to score a million goals, but they're also going to defend pretty well as a team. I think Ayer and Yano, uh are both really good players. Rai has been good for them. And then Pinnock and Mia have been good as well. Mia, of course, coming in from uh, from Burnley before they went down. Yeah, this this Bournemouth team, just like every once in a while, you're going to get a good day out of Philip Billing. You're going to get a good day out of Kiefer Moore, but it's it's very rare. And I think it's also... It's been tough for them because Jefferson Lerma was was like sick uh, for a while. He was really good. He was scoring a lot of goals, and now like it's just fallen off a little bit. They're not playing spoiler. They're not scoring late in games, stealing points. They were able to amass points by doing that by just like taking a point here or there against another like bang average team, and they haven't been doing that. So Brentford's come in to get all three points. I think uh, is a fantastic result. Yeah, and both teams are complete opposite when it comes into form. Brentford in their last 10, only one loss. Yep. Bournemouth in their last 10, only one win. Yeah, that's bad. Very, very bad. Uh, okay, next game is Chelsea versus Crystal Palace. Uh, this was one of the Sunday games as well. Chelsea able to earn a 1-0 victory over the Finally. Eagles. Yeah, I finally got the win here. I mean, it was sweaty, though. Like it was a sweaty one. 
They said we played Palace 29 times and we've won 22 of those meetings. Yeah, that's insane. You guys have a very, very good record against Palace. Uh, Havertz with a lone goal in the 64th. Good to see him on the score sheet. Played up top by himself. Um, No Felix. It's unfortunate. I would have really liked him to not get that red card because I think even in just like the 40, 50 minutes that I saw of Felix in there alongside Havertz, that it could be a decent partnership. And they're both sort of center forwards. They both played as the false nine in their careers already, and they're both pretty young. Uh, I think, you know, these guys, both of them will play well off of each other and and trade roles uh, extremely effectively, but we're going to have to wait a couple more uh, weeks to see that. Uh, Gallagher, decent game. Jorginho as well. Midfield was okay. You guys got uh, Benoit Badiashil in now. I think he had a fantastic game. It's always great when you get a nice young uh, center back in there and pair him with one of the best center backs of all time. It's it's going to be great for him to learn from Tiago Silva. I still don't know what Tiago Silva's English is like, but just being on the pitch with him uh, and, and on the <laughs> and on the training ground, he probably speaks French a bit. Yeah, I'm sure he does, and I know about Yashil is French, so um, you know Silva's time at PSG. I'm sure he picked it up, and that's that's going to be great. I think that's going to be good for you guys. You need uh, some depth at that center back position because Koulibaly is just. Not, I just don't think he's gonna be more than what we signed up for. No, I mean, you guys probably should have known bringing in well, not you, obviously, you didn't make the signing, but bringing in a a defender at his age who's only played in Italy. Um, like the Italian players very rarely pan out how they're supposed to, um, just because the league is so different and it's so physical over here. He just has not been up to snuff and he's I don't think the physicality is a problem for him. I think just speed. Yeah. He's just not a mobile guy. Yeah, he's not. But he's always got eighty two pace on FIFA every year. Surprisingly. Yeah. Surprisingly. Um he's just been outplayed all season long. So you know, uh it, it's ugly there, but you guys get the three points. Palace a little bit hard done by uh they had a chance early on. I think it was um or it was late on. It was Odson Edward. He had a chance, but they weren't able to uh, to secure uh, the goal there. And you guys get all three points. It's a pretty boring game, but you need three points. It doesn't matter how how boring it was. Chelsea uh, definitely could use it. They're in tenth right now on twenty eight. Liverpool are in ninth, so you guys aren't you know in absolute danger dead yet. You can still finish above Liverpool for sure. Um, and you're only five points out of fifth place. So, you know, season's not done. It's just been uh, a really quiet couple of weeks for Chelsea. Oh, my. Yeah, there's still 50. We still a, lot have 50, of, a lot of time. We got 57 points to play for. Yep. And, I mean, it's it's there's a lot of time left, and things can change. People will come back from injury, and we could go on a run. You never know. Um, for Palace, they picked up an injury there at Anderson, who's bit that rock in the back. That was a big difference when Tompkins came on. Uh, we saw him get a red card against Fulham earlier uh, this month. Uh, Ducore was the backbone for their midfield there. He locked up a lot of our transition and build-up. He was a massive part in us not having the the most time in the middle of the ball. Um, the positive side was we locked up the dynamic attack there for what they have up front in Zaha, Lisse, and Eze limited them to what they did and uh 
I like Ziyech out wide. We know we know what he's going to give us. He's probably the best uh, player on our team when it comes to crosses into the box, uh, similar to how maybe Alonzo used to do it. Uh, nice whipped ball into the back post, and Havertz capitalized on the one. Could have had two, should have had two. And that's all we really needed. Mason Mount has turned into a ghost, not somebody that we can rely on, even though he needs to be. Uh, I enjoyed Gallagher in the middle there. He played that dog mentality, roughed it up, just leaving it all out there, uh, emotions on the sleeves. Uh, well, it's bad when we have Chalba playing it right back. That shows the depth we have at that position, but we're going to continue to sign attacking mids and wingers instead. Um, and Kappa made a couple good saves that we need him to. Every goal is going to need to make two to three saves a game, and he did his job here. Saw some nice videos from the Palace supporting end uh, at the bridge. Uh, they were throwing Kappa the ball back late in the game, and he just punched it back to them twice. Yeah, um, Absolute shithousery there, but... And last, I'd say Lewis Hall played a lot better this game. He had a lot more time on the ball. Mm-hmm. He had more freedom going forward. He wasn't getting doubled up uh, like he was in the Fulham game there where he made a mistake and cost us the William goal. And, yeah, I mean, a young player is always going to make mistakes. You're never going to hold that against him, but he needs to learn from them and not make that same mistake twice, especially if the manager's going to have faith in you and play him and play you over somebody they brought in this year for £60 million. So that's a big statement there. Yep. So I don't think this is a great result in the the style of play and the, the way we got the win, but a win's a win. And we will move on to a game that I have no fucking clue will go uh, against Liverpool. Loser will yeah. be in 10th. Loser will be potentially bottom half the table. Um. Okay, next game. This I one. I have this one, right? Is you. Yep, Newcastle yeah. Fulham, right? Perfect. Yeah, Newcastle won Fulham nil. Uh, could have been the opposite. Uh, yeah. Nothing in the first half. Very dull. Uh, main thing that happened was Bruno Guimaraes picked up a, a tough injury that will hold him out for a month probably. Um, he's been the catalyst in the middle for them, so now they're going to have to rely on your boy Longstaff and Joe Willock to, to lock it down, which we could see a difference in their results moving forward without him. Uh, but the goal didn't come until the 89th minute from Alexander Isak, uh, headed across the box from Callum Wilson. Nice to see there, your, your Swedish lad, yeah. getting the winner. But we saw a missed penalty in the 69th minute, um, not in the way that you thought. Um, it was a John Terry-esque slip from Mitrovic. Uh, he made contact with the ball, and as soon as he did with the slip, it hit off his plant foot and went in the goal, and by law... Uh, this the penalty kick. The person who takes the penalty cannot touch the ball again until somebody else touches it. So it was ruled as a free kick for Newcastle there and took the goal away. So that's Mitrovic's third missed penalty of the year, which has really screwed me in fantasy, but also in Fulham's results. We saw them drop points against Wolves from a missed penalty, and they also dropped points the last time he missed the penalty. So it's never good when he misses. I don't know if they're going to change him. Probably not. But still, if you're Fulham, you competed well against a team that will most likely finish in the top four. They only have one loss, and you, you hung with them. So I think that's credit to them. And for Newcastle, it's another, it's another stripe on the, on, the, on the sleeve, another little 
if in football terms, another little sticker on the helmet yeah. that that keeps them in the hunt for that top four and potentially, if you want to say, uh, the title race. But yeah, it was uh, it was a really hard fought win for them. I've been listening to people. It's just like Newcastle have the scariest defense because they're the largest. Yeah, you got Burn at six seven. You got Botman like six four. Shar six two. Nick Pope six five. I mean, yeah, the only small ones. Trippier. Yeah, and he he plays more advanced and, yep. and gets involved in the attack, and he does that role well. I think in our fantasy league, he's the highest point scorer right now above Holland. Yeah, so. insane. As, he's he's playing how we all thought Trent would usually play. Yep, exactly. Um, Except he can defend better. Uh, yeah, that's if his he thing. has to. Yeah, he's he's had a he's had a whole career that he's experienced. Started Burnley, went to Tottenham, then went to Atleti, won the title there over Madrid and Barca. Now he's back in Newcastle continuing on, and he's probably the one of the best captains in this league. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, Newcastle just continuing to just pull out the rattiest, sweatiest victories. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. This is truly Rat FC. I mean, they're ratting their way all the way to glory. It, it is just... it's. It would be maddening if I didn't find it so fucking fascinating. It's crazy. This project at Newcastle, what a rapid turnaround. Newcastle were a laughing stock, and now they are just, they are dangerous, man. They are scary. They're well, really, really well coached. The team, there's quality everywhere. You have St. Max, you have Gimarish, who was just an unbelievable signing. I wasn't expecting him to be as good as he has been. Uh, Eddie Howes turned Miguel Almiron into a world-class midfielder and attacker. Isak's been great when he's played. Callum Wilson you have as well. And then that defense, which Matt already mentioned. Like, what a really fucking good team. Uh, just just always going to show up and fight. Uh, I believe Newcastle now have uh, taken a point from each of their last five games. Three wins and two draws. And they get a really important three points here over a Fulham side who are also uh, nothing to scoff at. So cheers to Newcastle. All right, let's move on. Tottenham nil. Is this my game or your game? It's mine, right? This is yours. Okay, Tottenham nil, Arsenal two. Wow. What a masterful performance. If you looked at the stats, you would think eh, maybe Tottenham should have had a goal. No. I mean, these guys were just—they they didn't show up. They were—they were so so scared, uh, as they should be. I mean, this Arsenal team is just fucking sick. They're so good, and this is this team is way better than the team in 2015 when we were challenging for the title that year. We had a really good team back then. This team is better. I just think we have—we are so much more threatening, and we are way more solid at the back. Um, a goal from, from Saka in the 14th, you know, they say it was an own goal, but I, I'm just, I'm just, I would no. it as an own goal. You would? It was directly at his chest. I don't think it was going in the goal. And it was one of those <sighs> things that just ricocheted off him. But it was, a sh- uh, that should be a shot on target. It should. Cause he, he blocked this. Yeah. There was the chance it was going in, but, but I mean, it wasn't. I think the way it redirected directly into the near post. I don't know. I mean, yeah. on fantasy, they count it as an assist, but in real life, I don't count that as an assist, but I definitely no. say out on target. All right. I we'll, don't know. We'll settle for take. a shot on target assist, maybe. But, 
a goal in the 14th minute. Uh, Saka on the inside, like right on the inside corner of the six, just kind of blast, blast chip. You hit it with a little bit of spin. Uh, just spun right out of Larissa's hands. He like tapped him in the chest after it hit his gloves. He he looked drunk, dude. I, I've been saying for Zero a while. I, I know I've been saying for a while. Like he's just perked out, and it, it truly does seem that way because he's he's just like caught off his line. He's not making routine saves. It doesn't Messy seem like him dirty. Yeah, I know. He did. He left him in absolute mess. He's got just no confidence whatsoever, and that was uh, that was the issue here with the first goal. After that, um, ball fell to Thomas Partsy right outside of the 18. He absolutely laced one, but it hit uh, the post. I feel like you could hear that one in, in, in Kenya, how hard he hit it. I mean, it was unbelievably cracked, but Arsenal got their second goal in the 36th minute when Martin Odegaard just laid in an absolutely beautiful low-driven shot into the right uh, bottom corner of the net. Just just absolutely masterful. Arsenal had a few chances late, but so did Tottenham. They looked much better in the second half. Kane had a few chances. Ramsdale had a fantastic game, stood on his head a couple of times. Son had a few chances even. This uh, Spurs team did fight, but they were just very, very lost, I think, for the first 40 minutes of the game. Um, I still don't think Spurs are a bad team. I mean, it, it's great. Obviously, I love to take uh, three points uh, at this point in the season from from our biggest rival, but I, I do think that they fought uh, pretty hard in the second half. Kulu, very involved, couple of shots, uh, just unable to get them to curl in uh, on frame. I think when Kulu, Son, and Kane are all playing, uh, it, Tottenham are just a much, much more dangerous team. And if they were going up against anybody uh, besides Gabriel and Saliba alongside Ben White and Zinchenko too, uh, they probably would have gotten a couple goals uh, on the day. But we we held them off. We, we had a really, really nice win here. Yeah, I think ultimately Arsenal won the midfield battle, which, yeah. which just drove the, the flow of the game. You saw in the pre-match warm-ups the way as uh, Jaka just kept motivating and talking to the players in the circle and stretching. And you could see from Ramsdale, just the, the leadership in this team and the belief and the project and the the players uh, that they have in each other is incredible to see. We already mentioned without Jesus, the loss it is, but Enketia stepped up to the plate and almost slips right into that role perfectly, which is great to see. Um, mm. And yeah, I just think... We've seen three different people in this role for Tottenham next to Hoiberg in uh, Saar getting the start here. Basuma we've seen in the past as well as Oliver Skip. I mean, all of them struggle and just can't keep up in there. They really miss Bentancourt. And I also think that Kulisevsky couldn't pick up the ball enough in a dangerous position to really attack the wing. Kane was dropping really deep, which I think he needs to stay up higher a bit and just stretch out the field uh, a bit more and open the midfield for the other guys. And I think Sesson Young starting a left wing back instead of Perisic was a, a gamble. Obviously, he's more athletic than Perisic, getting up and down the field quicker to counter Saka's speed. But like we said, for that first goal, it came down that side, and he got ran ragged, had to come out in the 75th for Perisic. So overall, Arsenal were winning the game from the start. You could just tell. and. We already said Lloris is a shell of himself since losing the World Cup. He already announced his retirement from international play, and 
I would say after this season, they might move on from him and go with Forrester for the meanwhile. We might even see him get benched coming up soon. I would hope so. I think Forrester is a much better keeper. And if they were smart, if Spurs were smart, they would have started Fraser Forrester because that's one of yes. Arsenal's greatest weaknesses over the last five years. Yeah, that comes down to their their uh, research team. And, and Antonio Conte is a very stubborn bastard. They should have called me. I could have told them right away that Fraser Forrester needs to be given a performance incentive uh, for this game. And he probably would have had 14 saves. I'm not kidding. He yeah. used to just stay would have earned his head. He definitely would have earned a Medal of Valor. Yeah, easily. They'd have to. They'd, they'd have to give him a fucking place in the. They might have to knight him. Honestly, they um, could. what I will say is, it does seem like people are very upset that Arsenal are at the top of the table, and Arsenal fans are also very upset that we didn't get Mudrik. They're crying about it on Twitter every day. I, I just think, don't understand I think that's a, it. I think that's a stance of being very particular in the details of the contract and wanting to know the player is bought in the system and will fit in properly and you're doing your due diligence and that's respect to you guys and you weren't going to go over a certain line yeah uh, which is respectable but when chelsea and man city and these clubs that have absolutely extraordinary amounts of money they can do a job real quick and not not really think about the the small details of it so um there's definitely better options out there. You never know. He could be a complete flop, and we could have overpaid just like we've done with other players recently. But I think that's a, something you can respect a bit. I respect that about Arsenal. They're getting the job done. I mean, you're top of the table with what you have. And I know. Martinelli and Ketia, Saka, they're all homegrown. Yep. Uh, Odegaard, you didn't have to pay an, exact, an extraordinary amount of money. Um, you brought back Saliba. He's already been a part of the club. Ben White was Ben White's probably been your fifty most mil. He was the biggest signing in this yep. team. I'm looking at this eleven. Yep, it'd be him, him, Jesus, and Chanko. Yeah, like those are your top three guys that are expensive here. This party was a free, I think. Yeah, and Ramsdale. However yeah, much, much a good deal. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's crazy. Like I just I don't feel like. We need. I mean, obviously, it would have been nice to have Mudrik, but like, where does he fit into the starting eleven? Are you? I think he would. Uh, I think he just take what he would take time away from Smith Rowe. Really, that's just what I mean. And I don't, like. I would rather Smith Rowe play. Honestly, maybe I'm. Maybe it's copium. Maybe I'm just smoking copium. But I wasn't sold on Mudrik for a hundred mil. That's a lot, man. It's a lot of money at for Arsenal. For Chelsea, it's nothing right now. Like, it, I think it just, I saw the initial fee was like. Up front was like sixty some million. And yeah, that's fine. So it's gonna be in the future. Yeah, I, I think sixty is like that's just a going rate for, for a young yeah. for a young winger right now. But hundred I mean, mil, man, yeah. that's a lot. The inflation's crazy. We we're talking about um I mean not in like 10, 15 years ago he probably would have went for like thirty or so. I mean the yeah. the fifty million dollar footballer now would have been like twenty, ten, fifteen years ago. Yeah. Absolutely mad. Um. All right, we have a lot of games. I think I'll be quick with my picks. I won't go into too much detail. Okay, we'll just rip them off. Um. So we're going from January twenty first to when? Oh, we're gonna go from the eighteenth to the twenty second. We got the two midweek oh, I got games. Them. Yeah. So we're gonna start with United Palace, and we're gonna go all the way to Arsenal United. Okay. Fair enough. Um. Okay. 
Crystal Palace taking on Manchester United tomorrow at 3 p.m. at Selhurst Park. Matt, who do you have? I got United. Tough to go against them. And I think if Anderson doesn't play, it's going to be a massive problem for Palace. Yeah, I'm going to stick with United as well. Uh, Palace a bit banged up and United just in fantastic form. So I'll stick with them. Uh, on Thursday, January 19th, Manchester City going up against Tottenham Hotspur. Ooh, this could be a tough one. No idea how this is going to go. I think I'm going to take a draw on this one. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Spurs are their bogey team the last yep. couple of years. Um, I'm going to have to go with, I'm going to have to go with City. Uh, I should have Zach's also going with City and United previously. So um, I just don't see a bounce back for Spurs. All right. Fair enough. Uh, next game after that, we're moving into the weekend now. Liverpool versus Chelsea. Oh, God. Who you got? My vomit. I looked at our record, right? Mm-hmm. We are, I think, 7 2 and 1 against the current bottom half of the table. We are 0 3 and 5 against the top 10 teams currently. Liverpool's the only team we haven't played yet in the current top 10. And that's crazy, but. You know, I'm going to back Chelsea. I'm going to be a dumbass. I'm going to go with them. Zach's going with Liverpool. Okay. I'm just um, hoping for the high line that Liverpool play. And I'm really banking on Mudrick starting that we just stretch them. Yeah, I'm going to go with Chelsea. I'd like to see... Uh, Ooh. I mean, if... Is if, that just because you hate Liverpool more? Yeah, absolutely. Like, no question about it. Just, I really need the fans to suffer, like, as much as possible. And Here more. Oh yeah, I should have. I should have said. Uh, I'll say it at the end with the broad watch. Oh yeah, yeah. I know. I was right. The theme these days. Um, okay, Leicester City versus Brighton up next. I'll take Brighton in this one. Yeah, I'm going with Brighton. Zach is as well. Just too much chaos with Rogers, and everything's going right in the South Coast for yeah. Brighton. Okay, Southampton versus Aston Villa up next. This one's tough because I think Southampton. Uh, probably are trying to carry some momentum in, but I do think Villa get the win here. Yeah, uh, Zach's going with Villa as well. I'm willing to take a draw here. I know Southampton have the worst home record, but I feel like when they play South, uh, sorry, James Ward-Prowse in a much advanced role, that's positive things, and they're going to be playing for set pieces here, obviously, and I think Villa are pretty, are pretty prone to a lot of errors when it comes to set pieces this year, so... We'll see if Unai's been working on them, but I think Ward Prowse can capitalize and double their results from last week. Yeah. Uh, okay. Up next, we have West Ham versus Everton. Who you got in this one? Really tough to say because historically, West Ham, I'm terrible picking, but Everton are just so bad this year. Mm-hmm. David Moyes is still on my fraud watch, but I'm going to back him this week. I think they get the win at home. There's just too much chaos at Everton, but I do think they play much better on the road when they don't have their home fans there. And Zach's going to go with a draw. Okay, I'm going to go with Everton. Uh, this is a bad pick for sure, but it's just so clear to me that Everton are going to get three points here against the West Ham team, who I actually think are even more incompetent than Everton. I truly I do think, think that. I think whoever loses the manager gets fired. All right. I'm, willing to, I'm willing to put some money on that. Well, I'm backing Big Frank then. All right, I'm back in boys. Super Frank. Uh, okay, Bournemouth versus Nottingham, Nottingham Forest up next. This game sucks. Uh, I believe Nottingham Forest 
No, this game's away, right? Because Bournemouth play at Vitality, right? Yeah. Yeah, Bournemouth are home. Forest only have one win on the road this year, and they've only scored two goals on the road. Yeah, I'll take a draw then. I don't think it's going to be a great game. Um, I think it could definitely be a draw. I just can't see Bournemouth winning. I mean, they stink. Yeah, and that's why I'm going to take Forest on a 1-0 win. Zach's going with a draw. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, a couple more games here. Uh, Crystal Palace versus Newcastle, another one. This one just seems so cut and dry to me. I don't think Palace um, have what it takes right now to break down this Newcastle defense. I mean, for fuck's sake, Arsenal didn't even have it, uh, and neither did Fulham. So I'll, I will take Newcastle in this one. I think they win this one, 1-0, one 2-0. Yeah, Zach and I are going with Newcastle as well. If Palace can't score on Chelsea, I think they're going to have issues with Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, next game is Manchester City versus Wolves. This should be straightforward. I guess I'll take City, but something kind of stinks about this right now just because City are in a, a kind of weird spot. But I do think this will be an opportunity for Holland to just carve out a defense. He He needs that at this point, so... Yeah, Zach's going with City, and so am I. This is a this is a fixture when I see on paper. I always think Wolves has a chance. Uh, a few seasons ago, they did pull off a double against City. They beat them twice in the year. Mm-hmm. I definitely think Lopetegui can get in Pep's head here a bit with the counterattack. I think Adama off the bench could be massive for them. Um, but I think I'm just going to take the safe option and go with City. Okay. Leeds United versus Brentford up next. I'll take Brentford in that one. Mine. Yeah, Zach and I are going with Brentford as well. Um, Leeds are really, really bad when it comes to earning a result. And going against Brentford, that are a very physical team, could challenge them a bit. Okay, and then biggest matchup of the week, uh, Arsenal versus Manchester United. Man, who are you taking in this one? I, I really thought about it, and I think I'm going to be Switzerland, and I'm just going to go with the draw. Okay, I'll go with Arsenal. I I can't I can't fade them. Uh this game could be a draw. We could absolutely lose it as well. They got to lock down Rashford. If we don't, it could be a very 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 long day at the office. Uh game is at the Emirates, so we don't have to go to the Theater of Dreams where United have been decent this year. I'll stick with my boys and and back the Gunners. Yeah, Zach's going to go with a, a draw as well. And I just saw there's a game on Monday. Sorry, one more. Fulham host and Tottenham. That's the last one. Yeah, Sorry. I got that one. Uh, so Fulham, Tottenham, uh, this game at Craven Cottage. So a home game for Fulham. I'll take yeah. Fulham in this one. I'm going to take you know uh, Tottenham at the beginning of the week to, to get a decent result against City, but I actually think Fulham beat Tottenham uh, here at Craven Cottage. I am as well. I see this game in the same light as last week with Brighton being Liverpool. I yeah, just think Fulham 100%. are... I just think Fulham are a better team at the moment and are better managed. And Zach's going to go opposite of us. He's going to take Spurs, which I definitely think they could squeak one out if Fulham yeah. don't go up by two at the half. Yeah, this could go any of three ways, really. I'm, I'll be very curious to see what the odds look like. Um, come like Sunday morning, the odds will probably be out for this game. I'll bet you it changes a couple of times, but it should Fulham be interesting. Definitely will be a, Fulham will definitely be plus 200 at the least, I think. Yeah, there's, that's great uh, value um, for them, I think. Uh, last thing, update on Fraud Watch. I'm keeping David Moyes on there. I'm not yeah. going to put anybody new on there. I will say, does Darwin Nunes get a week, like a bye week, since he didn't play? Yeah, he gets a bye week. Yeah. All right, so he's still on three. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then Klopp's still on there for you. 
Oh yeah, no, we can't take him off. I mean, they they need they need an absolute masterclass against Chelsea, a tactical masterclass. If they uh, if they give up, if you would you say if they give up more than two goals to Chelsea, his fraud watch counts as two weeks for yeah, this law. Yeah, no doubt about it. They can't they can't concede twice to this Chelsea team with no, no Felix, with new Mudrick, and with just essentially Havertz. I think I would say if I had to guess our lineup for this game. I would say it's going to be Kepa, Thiago Silva, Batty Shield. Yep. Um, he's going to go Lewis Hall again, and then he's probably going to play. Uh, he has to play Chalaba, Jorginho, Kovacic, maybe Gallagher at the cam, and then he goes Mount Havertz and Ziek. I think he has to play Ziek. Yeah, he will. I'm sure he will. And if Mudrik starts, he'll, he'll probably take. ZX spot, and if I was there, I'd play Mujic over Mount. Yeah, me too. Mount's been shit. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, like I have my eye on you, Jurgen, buddy. It's, you're, you're, we're not going anywhere. Like we're, we're locked in a two-step, buddy. I, I. This guy's gotta go, dude. They gotta get rid of him. You got to go, blood. You got he, to go. He's got to leave. There's just no. There's like, there's no way around it. It's just he's been figured out. So, yeah, that's why I'm Pat back Linder's in Chelsea. Top selling author. Yeah, what a fucking bastard! All right, guys, thanks for listening. Um, we appreciate it. Make sure you check us out on social media at Post Twenty Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find all past episodes of this show and also the NFL show, which we recorded this morning on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. This is the end to a very long day of recording. Thank you, guys, very much for listening. We'll see you next week.